again and welcome to the final day of ULAR 2022. Uh, my name is Douglas Veal. As this is the 75th anniversary Congress, uh, which is coming to an end, I'd like to review what I felt were some of the posters of interest from the CSF perspective on this final day. The main focus today of the posters selected is AXPA and PSA. And I hope that uh, as I did, you will find these highlights both interesting and uh, informative. Initially, we're gonna focus on the efficacy and the safety in AXPA. And uh, three posters focused on spondyloarthritis efficacy, which I found of special interest. That from uh, Desiree van der Heide and colleagues provided efficacy and safety data from the phase three trial on updatacitinib in patients with active uh, ankylosing spondylitis that was refractory to biologic therapy. Furthermore, there was two additional posters which focused on secukinumab from uh, Bronadal, reporting on radiographic progression and the course of inflammation over a period of two years in the PREVENT study. And then from Cozy et al, presenting 24-month data uh, from real, a real-life study on the safety and efficacy of secukinumab in, uh, in axial spondyloarthritis. So if we look at Desiree van der Heide and colleagues, first of all, the efficacy and safety of upper in patients with active ankylosing spondylitis that was refractory to biologic therapy. And this is uh, from the SELECT AXIS-2 trial, uh, which includes two separate studies, one for ANK-SPOND with uh, biologic DMARD inadequate responders and one for non-radiological AXPA. Over 420 randomized patients with active AS were assigned to treatment with upper 15 milligrams uh, or placebo and 409 patients, that's 97% received the study drug uh, through week four. The primary endpoint of this study was ASAS 40 at week 14. And uh, as you can see here, the key results was that 45% of upper treated patients uh, versus 18% of placebo treated patients achieved ASAS 40 uh, response at week 14. So this highly significant uh, result showing a benefit for upper over uh, placebo in these uh, refractory biologic uh, treated patients. APA also showed onset of effect uh, at a very early stage, as early as week four, and this was statistically significant also. The rate of adverse events was similar between the treatment groups through week 14. So I think this is a very positive result for APA in a longer trial of patients who were uh, selected for being inadequate responders to biologic, uh, uh, biologic therapies. So in the next study, uh, as I mentioned from Braun et al, uh, they looked at secukinumab uh, and the effect of secukinumab on radiographic progression and inflammation in sacroiliac joints and the spine uh, in patients with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. And again, this was a two-year study looking at the outcomes of a phase three randomized trial, the PREVENT study, over 550 patients randomized uh, to receive secukinumab, 150 milligrams 
uh, with or without a loading dose, interestingly, uh, or indeed placebo. And they looked at radiographs uh, of the spine and the sacroiliac joints were collected at baseline and 104 weeks where MRIs were actually collected at baseline week 16, week 52 and week 104 or uh, essentially two years. So 98% of patients treated with secukinumab, 100 milligrams showed no structural progression. That's almost 100% of patients showed no structural progression over the treatment period. Sacroiliac joint radiographs showed that 88% of patients on secukinumab and 86% of placebo-treated patients had no progression in SIJ joints by two years. And the secukinumab reduced sacroiliac joint bone marrow edema score versus placebo at week 16 and week 52 with sustained reduction through week four, 104. So this is evidence really that secukinumab is having a profound effect, almost 100% uh, inhibition of structural progression and reduction of bone edema, which correlates with activity in the uh, sacroiliac joints uh, at week, week 16, week 52, and continued through to 104. The next study from Cody et al. Uh, looks at the effectiveness and safety of secukinumab, again in AXBA patients, again a 24-month study, uh, and this time it's from a prospective multicenter real-life study. So these are real-life patients from a multicentric uh, Italian cohort, and uh, they also looked at drug retention rate, low disease activity scores, uh, defined as BASDI less than four and an ASDAS less than 2.1. And the key results, after 20 months of treatment, 90%, over 90% of naive and over 75% of non-naive patients achieved low, low disease activity. So again, very significant response rates here over a longer period of time. And naive patients showed better physical functioning and lower disease activity scores than the non-naive patients. The retention rate of the drug was 75% in the whole population, though there were some differences depending on gender. And I think it'd be really important to actually analyze that in more detail. And we look forward to those results in the future. So uh, I mentioned yesterday a study of bimakizumab. And here we have bimakizumab in patients with active non-radiographic AXPA from study uh, results from the B-Mobile uh, one study, a phase three multicenter randomized placebo-controlled study uh, from uh, Xenon, uh, Barrelirkus and colleagues. This is uh, essentially the primary outcome in this study was an ASAS 40 at week 16. And secondary endpoints uh, were included but not limited to ASAS-20 and BASDI. So uh, this study showed that bimekizumab uh, gave a 47.7% ASAS-40 response rate in the AXPA uh, patients, whereas 21.4% of the placebo-treated patients responded. Uh, slightly higher placebo response rate than you'd like to see, but still, uh, almost double the response rate in the uh, active treatment group uh, with bimakizumab. 
Responses were rapid with bimekizumab, as you might expect. Uh, and that was uh, true for the placebo patients who switched to bimekizumab uh, at week 16 also. So one mention for today, uh, also uh, relating to secukinumab, though I won't go through the poster in detail, from uh, our friend Maxime Dugados again and his colleagues carried out a retrospective study in France collecting data from October 2019 to September 2020 to assess whether the presence of objective signs of inflammation were predictive of secukinumab retention at one year in AXPA-treated patients. And they identified a number of uh, predictive factors, including prior exposure to TNF inhibitors, inflammatory bowel disease as a comorbidity, and a history of depression as a comorbidity as predictive factors of secukinumab retention. So that's interesting. Uh, the objective signs of inflammation did not predict uh, adherence, uh, but these factors did. Another mention for today was the poster uh, from Laura Gosek and colleagues uh, entitled Time to Improvement of Fatigue in Patients with Angst Bond in a study of tofacitinib. We know how important fatigue is as a symptom to our patients. And we know that tofacitinib as a jacinib has got a very good effect overall uh, in these patients. But uh, Professor Gosek and colleagues in this post hoc analysis estimated the time to improvement in fatigue in these patients and determined according to the facet F total score that these patients actually responded faster and in a larger magnitude uh, compared to the placebo patients uh, up to week 16. So that's really interesting and it, it, it means that the response rates in tofacitinib that we've seen in other studies uh, are true in patients with ankylosing spondylitis, and it's also true for the symptom of fatigue. So that's very encouraging. Safety in ACTBA uh, is, is important, obviously. We're looking at the safety perspective here from uh, Diodar and colleagues, and they provide results from an integrated safety analysis of tofacitinib in ANXPOND in clinical trials. So the study from uh, Atoll and colleagues uh, as I mentioned, it was a, 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 a safety profile analysis of tofacitinib-treated patients from randomized controlled trials with active AS. And uh, this was essentially a post hoc analysis. And they found that the most common treatment emergent adverse events were nasopharyngitis and upper respiratory tract infection. And I suspect that you and as I would agree that these are probably the most common treatment emergent adverse events that we see with any study actually of any treatment. Uh, interestingly, the, the serious adverse event uh, rates were, were higher with tofacitinib five milligrams BD than the placebo in week 16 uh, and similar in the week 48 tofacitinib cohorts. Discontinuation due to adverse events was similar between groups in the week 16 uh, placebo control cohort and the 48 week to see, uh, tofacitinib cohorts. Now let's switch the focus to psoriatic arthritis uh, briefly uh, from AXPA. 
and uh, Professor Philip Mees and colleagues presented evidence on assessing PSA by disease domain using real world data from the core EVITAS PSA SPA registry. Their data highlighted the importance of assessing all the PSA domains for optimal disease management. Also, with regards to disease management, in the final poster of this podcast, Georg Schett and his colleagues assessed the effect of gazulkimab on serum biomarkers in patients with PSA and an inadequate response or an intolerance to uh, TNF inhibitors. So first of all, Phil Mises' study, uh, the real-world evidence from the core EVITAS database. Uh, this was looking at adult patients with psoriatic arthritis who initiated therapy between January 2013 uh, and December 2020. So over a seven-year period. <clears throat> And it included patients who were initiating treatment with TNF inhibitors uh, or IL-17 inhibitors. The most common disease domain combination overall, which represented 14% of the total group, was peripheral arthritis, nail psoriasis, and skin disease. And the frequency of the top three most common domain combinations were similar among all therapy groups. So these patients presenting with this uh, triad of domains were treated with equivalent numbers of different treatments across the treatment uh, modalities. Overall peripheral arthritis and skin disease were the most common concomitant disease domains, which I guess is not surprising. And the results were similar by therapy group. So that's quite an interesting, uh, from a large cohort, quite interesting real world evidence in relation to psoriatic arthritis patients treated with TNF inhibitors or IL-17 inhibitors. The study from Georg Schett and group uh, was taken from the results of the COSMOS study. Uh, this was a clinical trial of gazulkimab treatment uh, in patients who had an inadequate response to TNF inhibitors uh, over 18 years of age with active PSA that is greater or equal to three swollen and, and tender joint counts. And they received uh, different dosing regimes of gazulkimab uh, or placebo with the proviso of an early escape at week 16. So quite a standard uh, clinical trial uh, design here. Uh, they took samples, though, for serum biomarker analysis at baseline, week 4, week 16, 24, and week 48 from those patients who consented. And they compared these biomarkers with healthy control serum samples. And they were looking at associations between early biomarker changes and baseline disease activity, between early biomarker changes and gazulkimab treatment and clinical response at week 24. So through week 24, significant decreases from baseline in, uh, were observed in levels of C-reactive protein, serum amyloid A, IL-6, IL-17A, IL-17F, and IL-22 uh, in the patients treated with gazulkimab, but they were not seen in the placebo-treated patients. So that's 
very interesting information, I think very useful information to show that the active drug was having an effect at the molecular level in these patients. Furthermore, reductions in IL-17A, IL-17F, and IL-22 in the gazokimab-treated patients were significant by week four, and they further decreased by week 16, and this change was sustained through week 24 and week 48. So these biomarkers re are reduced with response at an early stage, and they are reduced uh, over time uh, as the patients continue on their therapy. In the TNF inadequate responder patients, gazolkimab treated patients achieving an ACR20 at week 24 exhibited higher IL-22 and interferon gamma levels at baseline uh, compared to non-responders. So that's interesting data. And I think uh, in this small initial analysis, it does give us hope that biomarkers may help to identify patients who will respond to specific therapies in the future. So I have one mention, uh, one final mention for today's roundup, uh, which uh, is from Professor Camilla Svensson. And uh, if you haven't seen this presentation, I recommend that you uh, uh, try and catch it if you can. It's on neuroinflammation and neuropathic pain mechanisms in rheumatoid arthritis. So that brings us to the close of another insightful day at ULAR 22, uh, 2022. And really, uh, uh, this is an end to a great Congress uh, with more relevant cytokine signaling content. I hope you've enjoyed all the highlight sessions from this year's meeting as much as I have. And again, I stress that if you haven't already done so, you can download the highlights of ULAR 2022 uh, from cytokinesignaling.com to see the abstracts that we've selected for you uh, for the whole Congress, and, and also along with some of the top picks that we have discussed. That just uh, remains uh, for me to say thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to more uh, sessions and podcasts with you through the uh, CSF uh, in the future. So thanks very much and uh, safe travels.